Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Views from the 573 Podcast. Hope you all are doing well this week. We got a two-part podcast. It's been a while since we've had one. I can't remember the last time we've had one, but we got a two-parter here on the Views channel. And me, I did our, our football previews. We rolled along with the Big Ten, and we did the NFC South, and we rolled along with that. I got together with Matt, talked with him, caught up with him a little bit, talked with him about Kyler Murray getting an extension, and also Juan Soto, what's going on with him in the Nationals. And then I got together with Charles, and we kind of recapped what the free agency period was. We were talking about doing something like that once the dust has settled and see where everything was at. So me and him, I got together, and we did that. So the first part is going to be me and Matt's conversation about Kyler Murray and Juan Soto. And then you're going to get the football previews. And then on the second part, which I'll probably release part one. Part one's tonight. Part two is coming on Monday. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make part two, me and Charles's conversation on the NBA. And that'll be our, that'll be a two part podcast, but. We're, we're going to have another views pod later on in the week with our next edition of our football previews talking about the Big 12. And we are going to be talking about the NFC North in the in the NFL. So we got three pods coming out on the channel this week and also probably coming out on Sunday. Sunday or Monday is our entertainment pod covering Comic-Con. And everything that's going to come out uh, on fr- uh, on Friday and Saturday with a lot of Marvel and DC stuff coming out. Animation, live action, all that good stuff. So be on the lookout for the entertainment channel for that pod. So part one, what you're going to hear right now is going to be me and Matt's conversation about Kyler and Juan Soto. And talking about the Big Ten and the NFC South. So with that said, everybody... Hopefully you guys enjoyed this two-part pod, and let's get to me and Matt's conversation. All right, we are here with Matt Mormon, and we are going to be talking some Kyler Murray and Juan Soto. Matt, how are you doing today, my friend? I am doing quite well, Ryan. Uh, you know, it, it's a beautiful 102 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be making some ribs later. so Oh, that's nice. Know, I can't really complain too much. I mean, other than the 102 degree weather, that that sounds pretty good. Hey, I'm indoors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're going to have some fun here. We were originally planning on just talking about the Juan Soto stuff, but then Kyler Murray signed an extension. And so you hit me up and said, hey, let's talk about Kyler Murray a little bit here too. And so that's who we're going to start off with. And man, it's been an interesting offseason looking at the Kyler Murray situation with him and scrubbing his Instagram of all things Cardinals related to him coming back. And now you hear at this point, a few weeks away from preseason and not that too far off from training camp starting and he gets his new deal. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, the, the whole Instagram stuff, you know, the scrubbing of the, the logos and all that kind of stuff, you know, kind of threw a little bit of hitsy fit, you know, and you look back at the end of the last season and the complete meltdown, really, of the second half, and especially the postseason game <laughs> that Kyler Murray had, 
I'm not going to lie. Part of me thought that we were maybe more likely heading towards a trade at one point than an extension. Um, And, you know, it's one of those things with the NFL. The quarterback is just so important, right? Like, if you don't have a quarterback, you are screwed. Yeah. And Kyler Murray is a quarterback. Like, I, I wonder if we're going to end up maybe someday looking at this deal in the same vein that we looked at, like, Flacco and Jay Cutler 10 years ago, or more recently, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff. You know, kind of of that ilk, where it was like the desperation, you felt like you had to signing. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, the, the Josh Allen, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, where it was like, no, he's actually the best, you know. Kind of. Yeah. I, you you start to ask the question if, like, is he, like, where does he rank among the quarterbacks? I mean, he is a really good quarterback. Is he a top 10 type of guy? I mean, that's the question I think we're all asking. And I mean, with this deal, I mean, you, you look at it and you kind of think like, yeah, I mean, he, he might be a top 10 guy with that contract, but there's just a lot of other guys ahead of him. And you mentioned how they ended the season, that terrible postseason loss that he had where like just nothing good. Yeah, you you start to wonder like, is he a top ten guy, and is he deserving of a contract this big? But that is how that that is how the contract world works, though, right? Like, right. That's why Matt Ryan is still to this day has the number eight largest uh, active contract among quarterbacks is because when you're up for your deal, you get a new deal, and it's a big deal. Like. If you are an unquestioned starter at quarterback, you get a big contract. That's how it works. And someday this balloon will probably pop. I don't know when, but someday you have to imagine. I mean, I thought you said this 10 years ago, that someday this quarterback balloon has to pop. And it still hasn't. I mean, no, I mean, it only got a lot more complicated with the Sean's deal. <laughs> with how much Absolutely. the Browns gave it, him. And that was fully guaranteed. So mm-hmm. that added a whole nother layer. Because this Kyler Murray deal, it's five years, 230, with $104 million guaranteed at signing. Um, 160 more can be, or 160 total rather, can become guaranteed after like the first two years or so. Um, so, like, that's one of the things that, for me personally as a Ravens fan, looking at with Lamar, I don't know how you can look at Lamar Jackson and not give him 100% guarantees after Deshaun Watson did. And so I think that's where maybe this Kyler Murray contract will hold its biggest impact is it almost like resets the precedent that, hey, guys, you don't have to do 100% guarantee. Like, the Deshaun Watson thing happened. That's an aberration. There is now a post-Deshaun Watson signing that's at the top of the market that is not fully guaranteed. Because that was one of my concerns. Is you know you saw Watson get two hundred thirty fully guaranteed. Well, now is every top quarterback going to be fully guaranteed? And it's not. You know, Kyler is not. So at least there is now a comp to make at the top of the market that is more in line with what it's always been, as opposed to what it could have. Yeah. I- you you look at the contract. It's five years, two hundred thirty and a half million, 
And I think they the number for guaranteed is 160 million, correct? Yeah. Uh yeah, but but not all that's guaranteed right off the bat. Like the first couple like those guarantees lock in as it is. Right. Um 104 is locked in immediately. So I mean, yeah, that that's a there there's a n- new way to re- reset the market right there and like Deshaun, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people, especially around the league, that were probably concerned, like, this might be something that might become the norm. And I think you look at the Kyler deal, and maybe you're somebody around the league that takes a sigh of relief and is like, okay, well, that's just going to be, the Deshaun deal is a footnote of these types of contracts with the Browns fully guaranteeing them. And the Kyler Murray Murray deal is something more of like what we're going to see. Where it's not fully guaranteed, there's a lot of guaranteed money, but it's not fully guaranteed like the Sean Watsons. Yeah, it, that is the natural progression from the Josh Allen, the, the Patrick Mahomes, the Dak Prescott contract. You know, this Kyler Murray contract is a natural fit among those. Yeah. Um, and I think for the Ravens, like, this should probably be looked at as... I think now if you're the Ravens, uh, and, you know, I'm sorry to bring it back to, to my team, of course, me, me, me over here, <laughs> but I feel like you've got to look at Allen and Murray's contract. You know, Josh Allen, six years, 254, that's a $43 million average. Kyler's five years, 230, that's, six, that's $46 uh, on average. I feel like that's your window of what you're looking at for Lamar. It's somewhere around. Whether you go five years or six years, um, forty three to forty six million. I think that's probably your window that you look at, and, and you know you kind of ignore the guarantees of the of the Deshaun Watson deal. You probably make the guarantees more in line with those two. Yeah, and get the, get the deal done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for, for Arizona though, like, like yeah, let's bring this back to Kyler. Sorry if I took us off on a Lamar train, but uh, back to Kyler himself though. It does. It. I. I am not a fan of the super early signing the quarterback before you need to, and that does come from Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Which you know, remember Wentz had that year where he was an MVP candidate, right? I mean, there's a good reason to Jared give him that Goff, contract. Absolutely, Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl with the Rams. Yeah. You can make an argument. Both those two guys had more success in their time before signing their extensions than Kyler Murray has. I mean, I think you can make Not, a really good argument because Kyler's never done anything in the postseason, and those two did. Nothing. And so, uh, you know, I, I think there is definitely a non-zero chance that we get to 2024, 2025, and they're looking to trade out of this thing the way those two do. Especially if Kingsbury ends up being, you know, on the hot seat and gone by that time. You know, I don't think he's a great coach. Like, I think that that is a very realistic possibility in two or three year time. Yeah, I mean, when I sat down to do the preview for the NFC West, and this is something that obviously happened since then, but talking about the Cardinals, I mean, one thing that you bring up Kingsbury, can... They had a solid year last year. They got off to a really good start, and then they tailed off. Is a finding a balance between that and not having something like that happen this year. But you got to take in consideration 
hey, you got the Super Bowl champs in your division, and they don't look like they're stopping anytime soon with how they're restocking. You got the 49ers, who you can never count out, and we'll have to see how the Trey Lance experiment goes. But if he hits, then that's something else you got to take in consideration because you know how well Kyle Shanahan runs his offense. They got some really solid pieces on that defense. And then, yeah, you got the Seahawks, who looks like they might have a bottom five roster this year, and you don't know when they're going to get back up and be a contender. But, like, you got a couple teams that you got to worry about that one is definitely ahead of you. And if you don't watch out, if Trey Lance works, the Niners could jump ahead of you. Yeah. And, you know, I think at that point, then that's an easy time to start to create that discontent with it. Kyler himself is probably going to get frustrated. You know, we've seen him be frustrated before, you know, with things. And so, yeah, I think that it's very possible this one blows up in your face. Yeah, I I mean, But yeah. on, on the flip side of it, though, if you don't do this contract, then you end up, at best, you end up in a Dak Prescott situation. Where you wait a couple more years, then you tag him a couple times, and then maybe you sign him to an extension, or you end up losing the quarterback, at which point you then are going back to the, you know, top of the draft. Then you're the Seahawks, right? Like, yeah. Then you suck. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's it's a bang-bang scenario to where if you sign him, then you get him to a big deal, and if it doesn't work out, then you might you know, look to trade them in a few years. And if you don't resign them, you are, like you said, you're going back to the top of the draft and you get nothing for him. If, if he is where he is, as far as the QB rankings, if he's in that upper echelon and you don't get anything for him, then that's going to hurt you in the long run too. So, I mean, it's a really, it, it's a lose-lose scenario to, to how this, how this deal went is that if you sign them, great but you got a big contract on the books. If you don't, you got to figure out your QB situation all over again and reset. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things you would rather just sign the guy to a big contract though. Yeah. Because if you let him walk, I mean, you're walking yourself right into a very possible situation of finding crap at quarterback, right? Like yeah. <laughs> not everybody just goes from Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert, right? Like, we've seen plenty of times where teams go, you know, from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett <laughs> to, you know, a old Philip Rivers to a Matt Ryan, or to a Carson Wentz, and then to a Matt Ryan, right? <laughs> like, if you lose that franchise quarterback, you don't necessarily just go find him. Yeah. They're far and few out there. And, and that's why they get paid so much. Yeah. I mean, that's why you make this deal. It's the most important position in the game, and, you know, I mean, gosh, when's the last time a team won a Super Bowl without a great quarterback? I mean, I guess Nick Foles, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it happens probably once, maybe twice a decade, you know, and if you think that you can take the dice and you can win with Nick Foles, go for it, you know, but uh, it, it's the reason why, you know, Everybody wanted the Titans to replace Tannehill, right? Like, that's the reason why. Yeah, I, that's the reason why. I mean, you know, you look at him and there's a reason why they went and took a swing on Malik Willis, which, I mean, was 
Like, oh, well, that's a third round swing, though. That's yeah. not a swing. Yeah, it's a third round swing, but, but there's a lot of good attributes I like about him. As far as but like, that's a check swing, though. Right. Like, if you took a swing, you're doing it in the first round. Can't take it. Yeah. Like, like Tampa took a swing on letting go of J- J- uh, James Winston to bring in Tom Brady. You know, Arizona took a swing by cut, getting off rid of Josh Rosen, going and getting Kyler in the first place. Yeah, that's making a swing. You know, um, but yeah, like it is one of those questions though. Would you rather pay out the crap for Kyler Murray, or would you rather pay, you know, half of that for Ryan Tannehill? You know, like that is the type of question you have to ask yourself. Um, you know, would you rather be in that Tannehill, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins range, or would you rather pay? You know, the arm, the leg, and the moon and the stars for one of the superstars when you have one. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the Cardinals, they answered it here and they gave Kyler this big deal. And we're definitely going to find out pretty soon if he can live up to this deal with the season starting pretty soon. And like I said, with with the Cardinals, I mean, you had that great start last year. If you can have a start similar to that, but just not sputter out towards the end. Then if, yeah. you're, if you're Kyler, you got to feel good about where you're at. If you're Kingsbury and Steve time, you got to feel good about where you're at. Well, I feel like that's been an Arizona thing for a while. Like, I feel like there was some Carson Palmer years too, where like they started hot and then fizzled. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of a, you know, the bucket the Cardinals are in these days where, uh, you know, they, they seem to get off these great starts. They look, I mean, they look on paper like they're unstoppable. They're great on Madden, you know? <laughs> and then things just don't quite click. Yeah, th- and there's a reason why Madden's different from the real game. Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Hey, I mean, uh, did, did you get a chance to, uh, did you get a chance to talk about Baker in the pot already? I talked a little bit about Baker when uh, they went to Carolina. What's your gauge on that real quick? Yeah, um, I think it was the perfect move for where the Carolina Panthers are at. Like, they didn't have the ammunition to go up and get a quarterback. And, the, you know, the, the, the NFL told us there was not one worth drafting this year, right? Right. And I think this is basically the same move as the Sam Darnold trade, but it costs you a whole lot less, and it's only a one-year commitment. So, sure. Give it a shot. See what happens this year. If you don't like it, then you move on, and you probably have a high draft pick next year. Um, I don't think this makes Carolina good, but like I like their defense. I like a couple of their weapons. Yeah, they do. They they have worked on the offensive line. Um, you know, Atlanta. I don't think is gonna be very good. No, New Orleans is a big question mark. Like Carolina could be the number two team in this division this year. And that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, yeah, I think it was a perfectly fine move for Carolina. Like, go at least give yourself a chance at a guy. It probably isn't the guy, but it's a low cost, low risk, the best you could possibly have for this year, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, give yourself that shot. Hopefully, DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey and... You know, that defense of Brian Burns and Derek Brown, those guys, hopefully that it all works out well. And they could be decent. Yeah, I'm, I mean, we're, I'm talking about the NFC West a little bit later on in the pod, but 
you you look at Carolina and yeah, Baker's a low risk, high reward type of move. If it pans out, it can really help out. And you only trade. I don't know about fit, high reward. I will a, a, a decent amount of reward potentially if he if he's solid if he has a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, because um, like even even a good Baker is at best going to be in that Derek Carr range. Yeah, I mean right. We, yeah. Like, um, good Baker is not going to be at the level of, you know, the Lamar, Herbert, you know, Kyler range. You know, he's not sniffing Mahomes, Allen, or Aaron Rodgers, or Brady, you know. But I think but with like, Carolina, I think you just need a, a, a guy that's better than Darnold, or, or at least what you've had the last well, couple seasons. Yeah, like, the, their quarterback situation Oof. since Cam, I guess, right? has been atrocious. Yeah. And so, you know, awful. if you're going from a negative 50 to up to a zero, that is still a gain of 50, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like you're upgrading from zero to zero. No, you're upgrading from very bad to hopefully just neutral. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a low risk for them. You're only giving up a fifth round pick. Uh, you're only paying five million dollars of a salary, um, and like I'm with you, uh, Carolina. I think is if you don't watch out, they could be the second best team in this division, which is a division to give you a preview on. I don't think is all that good besides Tampa, and where Carolina can maybe sneak in there is that second team behind Tampa, because yeah. I like you. I like a lot of pieces on that defense. Burns. Brown, J.C. Horn, uh, Jeremy Chin. Yep. Like, and nine wins probably gets you into at least a chance of the playoffs again this year. Yeah. You know, now that the playoffs have been expanded so far, nine wins is going to give you a shot. So I think they, I mean, they had five last year. Does upgrading from, you know, uh, oh gosh, what was the XFL? Uh, P.J. Walker. Does upgrading from P.J. Walker and Cam Newton and Sam Darnold to Baker? That might be worth four wins. Yeah. I Plus a healthy McCaffrey. Yeah, the healthy McCaffrey's going to go a long way, and I think maybe that offensive line is probably going to help and them revamping it uh, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, the playoffs, you, you got you got potential with how far they've stretched it to, like, maybe you can sneak in there as a, as a wild card. And the NFC, I mean, it, I think there's probably really only – two contenders as far as I can see to maybe make it out. Um, so maybe you can find a way to sneak in there in one of those lower seeds and build some good momentum heading into 2023. So I guess, you know, Matt, since we talked about somebody that has been traded, let's talk about somebody that the possibility of them being traded is floated around. Let's transition over to Juan Soto. Yeah, this is fun. Um, so, it's not every day you see a 23-year-old megastar be uh, floated out there for a trade possibility, but that's where we're at right now, with Juan Soto. And I think I've seen pretty much at least a writer or something of every single team write a piece about whether or not their team should trade for Juan Soto. And I think (laughs) most teams are saying, yes, they should. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. it makes sense. Like, no matter where you're at in 
your development right now, adding Juan Soto probably moves you up. And, you know, I have, I mean, the trade package, it's going to cost you as much as feasibly possible out of your uh, farm system. Like, it just will. Um, Probably a couple of MLB players also, but, I mean, this is a guy that probably the best hitter in all of baseball right now. And he still has two years of control also. So it's not like you're getting him just for a half a season. Kind of, you know, it's not a rental. Yeah. And there's been talk of, you know, hey, do you trade for him now? And then, you know, two years from now, you try to flip him at the deadline in a rental situation. Like, that's possible, you know? Yeah, I mean, a tw- you know, I kind of thought about this and like, it's a little bit different, and it's a d- little bit of a different league, but I think about, like, how rare it is to see a guy of Juan Soto's caliber potentially out there on the market. And I look at Kevin Durant out there on the market, and he's a little bit older, but I... He's I, quite a bit older. He's quite he's quite a bit older, but I think if he was in that area of his prime, where he's like 29 or 30, then... I would say you don't see something like a Kevin Durant on the market, and it's a little well, bit it's different. Al- it's almost it's almost closer to the very first time Kevin Durant came available. Yeah, yeah, it really is because I mean, you look at Katie when he went on to the market; that is huge. There was an arms race to try to go get him. Well, and I think one of the big differences there too, it, you know, NBA max contract is five years. Yeah, right. MLB, there's no max. Mm-mm. <laughs> like there is talk that like I mean the the the, the deals that the Nationals were offering were fifteen year contracts, like you were setting up his career at that point, and, and yeah, I mean a fifteen year four hundred forty million dollar deal, that's that that was the final offer that that Washington made, and as an in, insane as it sounds, that's kind of a low ball offer. At $440 million. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason for that is is because that average value would have been 10th, I believe, in all of baseball, if you would have agreed to that deal. And you're setting up the rest of your life at 10th. And as we just saw with, you know, Kyler, these deals get bigger and bigger as time goes on, right? The next one always tops the last one. And so if you're going to set up the rest of your career... And, by the way, this is a guy, I'm looking at his uh, baseball reference page. Ryan, I'm going to read you off the names of the guys who have similar careers through age 22. Which, again, it's insane how young he is. Like, he's been up for a few years. You forget, he came up at 19. Yeah. And so he's currently in his age 23 season. But through his age 22 season, his comparables are Mike Trout. You heard of him. (laughs) Frank Robinson. You heard of him. Bryce Harper, Miguel Cabrera, Mickey Mantle, a young man named Henry Aaron. Hmm. If you don't know it, that's Hank Aaron. <laughs> that's the home run king. Like, these are the guys that he's compared to through this age. Man. <laughs> like, that's the player. <laughs> like, Ken Griffey Jr. is on this list. Like, 
it's just it, it's a bunch of Hall of Famers that he's being compared to at this age, and he's already done it on the major league level. You know, it's not like you're, yeah. you're training for a prospect here at age twenty three. No, it's a guy who's done it in the majors at this level. He had three fifty one back in twenty twenty. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's just dumb. Uh, yeah. So every team is involved. The ones I've seen the most are probably the Yankees, the Mets, the Giants, the Mariners are probably the ones I've seen the most of. Padres, I've seen a lot of Padres. Mm-hmm. Um, Cardinals, Cardinals have been floated out there as a possibility. Yeah, um, like I'm, I'm pulled up an athletic article and looking up his trade market. Like they, they have the Cardinals on here. Like what they can maybe offer. I mean. Of course, the Nationals would probably want to start it off like, hey, can you give us Jordan Walker? Um, yeah, yeah, Walker's their big prospect. But uh, but it, I don't know. It, it is one Soto. It is one Soto. Like, that's the thing. It's one Soto. <laughs> like, if there's ever a player, like, I would love for the Angels to trade everything for him and have Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and Juan Soto and still find a way to go under 500. <laughs> oh, like, <laughs> Like, because you know they would. <laughs> oh, I, I felt so much pain in that right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, I think the Cardinals, I just don't see, I don't see that organization being that aggressive. Mm-mm. No. It, That's just so out of character. Yeah, history says otherwise. And, you know, they have made... I mean, look, this is this is the same team that traded for Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, so mm-hmm. they have been willing to take on these big trades for these guys and, and you know, decently long contracts. But they kind of got... They, they managed to get an incredible trade for Arenado where they didn't give up, like, any of their tippity-top prospects. Yeah. And really, even looking back on that Paul Goldschmidt one at the time, Luke Weaver and Carson Kelly were kind of the two big ones. And Kelly, you know, him being a catcher was stuck behind Malik. Yeah. Right? Versus Jordan Walker, the number one prospect right now, and I'd say probably Matthew Levitore would also probably be in the trade. And by the way, of course, uh, Dylan Carlson would probably also be in that trade. He's a major league player right now. Yeah. I just don't see John Mosellac saying, I've got two, you know, we saw uh, Libertor already in the majors this year. I don't see Johnny Moe saying, I'm going to give up our top pitching prospect, who's already been in the majors this year, our former top prospect outfielder, who is really fulfilling the promise. Like, Dylan Carlson's very good um, at the major league level. And I'm going to give up Jordan Walker, who is going to have a spot open. Like, there's a path to his playing time very soon. Like, he's he's very young also. I think he's 20. Mm-hmm. And so even if he has another year and a half in the minors, uh, you know, that's the rest of Goldschmidt's contract, at which point you could have him, you know, he's kind of a first-base, third-base corner outfield guy. Yeah. And so at that point, Walker's path to playing time is right there at first. And so I just have such a hard time seeing Mosellock being willing to trade those three guys. I do think it would cost all three of those guys and probably another one or two, you know, like it, this, whoever gives up this deal is giving up an unfathomable amount. Like 
Matthew Kuchuk just got traded in the NHL, and it broke my heart. But then you look at what Florida gave up, and you say, well, yeah, the Blues couldn't do that. That's the kind of deal I think we're going to end up seeing with Soto, where it's going to be such a big deal that a lot of fan bases are going to look at and go, we just could we can't do that. Yeah, so, like, a couple things, you know, it in this athletic article, they mentioned, like, you, you might... If you don't trade Walker, you might throw in like Carlson or Tyler O'Neill. Um, probably throw in Gorman. Why would they be that interested in O'Neill though? O'Neill's only got two years of control left. Yeah, that it's a good point. And like they also mentioned, like they probably wouldn't be high on Libertor, so they might try to look at maybe landing Mason Wynn in that deal, asking for him. Yeah, he's the one that was just in the uh, futures game. Yeah, and he's one who does not have a great path to playing. Like, he's kind of stuck behind Tommy Edmond and uh, Nolan Dorman uh, at the current moment, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, for the Cardinals, I mean, there, there's a possibility there, but history doesn't say, you know, it doesn't track with them making a huge deal like that with the amount of players and reading a couple other stuff. They, I saw some article that mentioned that the only other deal that you can kind of maybe – take a look at is like when Miguel Cabrera got traded. Yes, that's a great one actually. Let me uh pull up what was that? I remember uh oh what's his fate? Cameron Mabin was a part of that trade. But Dontrell Willis went along in that deal. But that probably is like the best close comparison. Cause Miggy was fairly young at yeah. the time of that trade. Yeah, he was around here. 23, 24, 25, around that age. So, I mean, well, keep in mind, Dontrell Willis did come along that trade also. And I believe this was still when Willis was good. I don't believe he had fallen off the tracks yet. Uh, which is a cute little pun there for anybody who knows his <laughs> nickname is D-Train. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, it was Dontrell Willis and Miguel Cabrera in exchange for... Andrew Miller, uh, Dallas Trehearn, Yologio De La Cruz, Braden, uh, Burke Braden, Braden Hop, Cameron Maven, and Mike Rabello. Man, none of those guys panned out. I mean, Andrew Miller ended up being really good elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but my goodness, that trade did not work out for the Marlins at all. <laughs> I mean, still though, like, ignore what the players ended up being, because you don't know. Like, that's the other part of a trading away process. You don't really know. That yeah. was six That was six players that were traded for Cabrera plus Willis. So, you figure two were probably really for Willis, four were for Miggy. Yeah, and I think if you're doing this deal, you're probably trading a proven player. True, and none of those guys were. Yeah. And also, I think another aspect that we haven't touched on is the Nationals are looking at maybe moving off some salary like uh, Strasburg and uh, what's the other well, Patrick name? Corbin. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick Corbin. Corbin. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, the thing I always said. If, if the Angels ever traded Mike Trout, I always said you had, you had to trade away Albert with the deal. Like the other team had to take on Albert Pujols. It's a similar situation where, yeah, that Patrick Corbin contract is bad. And, uh, I think it's a similar thing where, like, hey, if we're trading away Juan Soto, you're going to have to take on these bad contracts. 
yeah yeah so you're gonna have to do that and maybe you sacrifice a, a, a prospect or two that you would get in trading those guys but I don't know. So I think, man, out of all the teams that you have seen, I mean, of course, it's going to take a boatload to to get them there. You mentioned a few teams off the bat, like Mets, Mariners, Yankees, Giants. Who do you think would be the team that could that would pony up the offer and try to go get them? Well, give me one second. Let me let me pull up MLB farm system rankings. Um, I think that's going to help. Um, just kind of seeing what teams have that depth in their system. Like, yeah, the Mariners, uh, going into the season, MLB.com had them as the number two farm system. Now, that is still including Julio Rodriguez in the system. Um, but I think the Mariners really look to me like they could. It, I could see them doing it. Because remember, that's a team where, you know, gosh, it's been almost 10 years ago now. But they were a team that they signed Robinson Gano to a contract that is as big as the Al Pujols contract. Right. They're not afraid to make a big move like that. Um, and they've got, still got some more depth in that uh, system still that hasn't come up yet. And this is a team that is pretty darn good. You know, they're, they're very good. And so I can definitely see the Mariners being aggressive, going and getting that guy. And you put him next to Julio Rodriguez for the next 15 years. Ooh. That's an enticing possibility. Yeah, I mean, and you so just that, saw those two face off in the home run derby. So, right. <laughs> if you're a like, Mariners would, fan. Ooh. Yeah, you're salivating over this idea. <laughs> um, I do think. I, I don't think a trade happens until the offseason. Yeah, because I think something like this, it, with a trade deadline not too far away, it, it feels like it would be tough to try to get everything together that quickly. So I think, yeah, I think you wait till the off season where you got a lot more time to try to gauge where things are at. What, well, what, and I think you're going to have some teams where their money situation is just a bit more clear. Right. You know, like that's always the thing. Like, I think the Yankees are a very real possibility if this does not happen until the offseason. If it happens right now, I have a harder time seeing it be the Yankees. But if we get to the offseason and Aaron Judge is walking out that door, you know, who better to replace Aaron Judge with than Juan Soto? Right. I, I mean, <laughs> you'd be hard-pressed to find a better replacement. Like, yeah, Judge is having an MVP-type season. Oh no! Who are we gonna get? Juan Soto. <laughs> We're gonna be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. What, you know like, if you're the Yankees, I don't know if you want to disrupt what you've got going on. Like, obviously, your team is going to be better with Juan Soto than it is without Juan Soto, right? Like, yes. If the Yankees make a move right now to go get Juan Soto, I think we can just go ahead and pack it in until you know <laughs> November, and we can just give them the trophy. Oh. <laughs> um, but, you know, you'd have to probably give away, yeah, a couple MLB pieces. I don't know if that's something you want to be doing right now if you're the Yankees. Yeah, I, I, I'm it, I'm with you. If you're the Yankees, I think you might want to wait till the offseason and see what happens and then go and make your move. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, if they did get him now, 
I mean, poor New York Mets fans thinking like, hey, they got a shot, and here's the Yankees yeah. making a move for, for Juan Soto. <laughs> well, the, the, Mets, the Mets have such a nice little team, and yeah, they would just get stomped by the Yankees. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, if you're the Yankees, you're probably what, looking trading guys like Anthony Velope, Jason Dominguez, possibly. Yeah, I know Dominguez is one of their big ones. Uh, I think Medina, a uh, pitching prospect, I believe, is one of their big ones. Yeah. I mainly know, I know most team prospects is playing the show and making <laughs> trades and collecting prospects on my little Orioles franchise I've got going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's how, that's how I know some of these names, but. Yeah, and you know, I, I tell you what, Toronto could be an interesting one too because they've got so many. If the Nationals would prefer to get like young major leaguers, I think the Blue Jays could be interesting there, and that you could trade away a couple of the, you know, Cavabigio, Lourdes Gurriel types. Um, and, and you know, maybe you wouldn't have to give up six players. Maybe you could just give up like three guys. If they want, if they would, if the Nationals want major, leaders, I think the, the, the Blue Jays might be a team to watch. But I do, I think, I think Mariners, I think Yankees, um, the Giants. I've seen a lot of Giants talk about too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you're the Blue Jays, I don't know. After seeing Gurriel making fruit cocktails during their blowout the other night, I mean, <laughs> you, you might want to keep him around. He might help out a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, he, he's on my fantasy team. He went six or seven last night. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, that was... Oh, man. Yeah, poor Red Sox. They're getting obliterated. Oh, boy. I, I've been playing fantasy baseball for a long, old time now, and I don't think I've ever had a player go six or seven. <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> that that, that don't, almost doesn't even seem real right there. Six or seven right there. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look at the Blue Jays. I mean, this is a good point. You got a lot of guys that are young that are pro ready you got a couple guys in your farm system like uh, martinez maybe moreno or groshans or something like that where like you maybe deal one of them in that deal with uh with the nationals but that's a that's a good point and like the blue jays they're they're a good team right now they're a pretty good team right now and adding juan soto i think would take them a, another big step plus adding him alongside vlad guerrero jr Right there. Right. Yep. Like that, that that's a dream one two punch right there if you're a Blue Jays fan. I wonder if the Texas Rangers have you know, any possibility. Because they, they had such an aggressive off season. You know, I, I wonder if there's any way they could get involved yet. Well, I mean, they got a, a young farm system. I mean, of course, they took Leiter last year. You got Josh Young. Um, you just took Kamar Rocker and Brock Porter in the draft. So, I mean, it's, they got some young pieces. I don't know if Juan Soto would want to go to Texas. That, yeah, because yeah. he, does, he doesn't have a no-trade clause, but in some ways it feels like he does. Right, because pretty much I feel like most likely the team that gets him wants the contract. Yeah, I'm looking at the Giants too. Uh, I mean, if you're a Giants fan, you're probably looking at offering Luciano in a deal like that, where he's probably like the big prize for the Nationals right there. 
if they go out and do that deal. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, this is the toughest thing about it is because like you're looking at who can offer all these prospects and these proven players. And there there's few and far teams in between that can do all that stuff. Yeah. And then also have, you know, you're looking primarily at the big markets too, right? Because they're the teams that can sign a 15 year deal. Yeah. You're looking at that. You're looking at your, at your money situation. I mean, all that stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I think if you're, if you're smart about this, I think you probably wait to the off season, see what happens and try to go from there and make your move. And, you know, get get him on your team to start out next season, instead of having him come midway. So, I, I think that makes the most sense. But, I mean, you trade all the stuff again. It is for Juan Soto, a guy who's twenty three oh, yeah. years old, as one of the best guys in the league already at twenty three, and still has two years of control. Anyway, you know. I mean, it is so enticing. So. I think that's where we're going to leave it off with uh, with all this stuff. So, Matt, this is fun. It was nice to catch back up and uh, talk about Kyler yes. and talk about Juan. Absolutely. And I should, I should mention, too, uh, you know, if the Angels want to trade Joe Adele straight up for Juan Soto, I, I think, you know, do it. I think that's great. <laughs> I just I should throw out my trade offer. Uh, Joe Adele, let's see what else he could offer. A bag of peanuts, uh... Hey, we could send Anthony Rendon back to Washington. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you can send him back. I'm sure some national fans will be glad to see him back. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was fun, Matt. Uh, th- it's always fun talking about, uh, football or baseball, especially baseball, because, as well documented, I, uh... I'm not that huge of a baseball fan, so... <laughs> Ryan. Ryan McDaniel. Big baseball nerd. Let me tell you. Well, I mean, I am... People. I mean, I am when I ha- have MLB The Show, and uh, currently I don't, so... It, that's hindering me right now. Mm, you gotta get, get on that Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Matt, this is fun, and uh, thanks for coming on. Of course. Anytime, right? Thank you, Matt, again for joining us. It's always fun as usual. I can't remember the last time he's been on a views pod like we talked about, but like it's been a while, and uh, it was it's fun to talk about sports with him, talking about what's happening with Juan Soto, one of the premier players in baseball at his age, potentially getting on the market. It's it's in contrast to KD because you got a player KD's caliber on the market, but a little bit up there in age. So it's a little bit of a contrast there, but still always fun having him on and discussing that stuff with him. So we're going to get to Charles here a little bit later on, and we'll tackle NBA here to wrap up the show. But let's get into our football previews, and let's talk about the Big Ten, and let's start off with the Big Ten West, because Big Ten East, I think, is a little bit more interesting. And a lot more teams to keep note of because of how good those teams can potentially become the season starting, which is August 29th, so not too far away. So we'll tackle the East here once we get done with the West. So let's start with the West. Let's start with 
a couple teams out there. I think the name of the game here for the West is two things stand out is a lot of these teams have the same style on offense and defense. You're, you see a lot of ground and pound run games here in this part of the Big Ten. And you see a lot of parity in this division because you all you have a lot of teams that you could potentially sit down right now and actually see them winning the Big Ten West and head to the Big Ten title game. And there's and you know it's the same thing with the Big Ten East, but you got a couple notable powers that look like they will win the East with the West. It's like, you know, it's a coin flip between a few teams of who can win the Big Ten West. And so, you look at that, the parity in this division, the styles offensively and defensively, you got some really good defenses, you got some really good running games. So, overall, that's kind of the name of the game here in the Big Ten West. And, I mean, of course, the Big Ten West is going to be taking on a new definition or however it may happen with USC and UCLA coming into the fold. But that's still a couple years away. But looking at this division, of course, Iowa won the division last year. They had a good start, started off 6-0, and was 2-4 and to close out the season. And in that stretch, only averaged 13 points per game. Not even two touchdowns, and that's something you cannot have in in this tough of a conference and to get to the Big Ten title game. But they somehow managed to be able to do it despite Wisconsin, them having a rough start, and them just going on an absolute tear, going 8-1. and one. And if it wasn't for a loss in the final week at Minnesota, Wisconsin probably wins this division. But Iowa held on and ended up winning this division. So, let's start with the Hawkeyes here as we get our Big Ten discussion rolling. And so, heading to Iowa, what are some things to talk about with Iowa? Well, as we just mentioned, in that 2-4 and four finish, they only averaged 13 points per game. Obviously, the record is not what you want either, but the points per game is definitely not what you want. And you really got to start to wonder when will Iowa start to add some modern stuff to their offense. We're going to get to Wisconsin a little bit later on. They hired a new offensive coordinator to kind of help that help out that problem with the passing game. And with Iowa, you don't really see that. They got a good, solid run game. They churn out a lot of good offensive linemen. You know, defense, same thing with them. Some solid secondary players. But if you look at their offense, it's not really a lot of downfield passes where a lot of risky stuff where they're throwing it every chance they get. It's very methodical, and it's very run game oriented. And you do start to wonder, can that change this year under Kirk Ferenz? And so far, it looks like there's been no changes made to that. And a lot of the stuff is concerning with, you know, who's going to be the quarterback because you had Spencer Petrus, who was the main guy there under center for Iowa. He he was just, you know, average. If you look at total QBR, he was around 90, around that area. And then his backup, 
Alex Padilla comes in, doesn't do any better. And so you really start to wonder which quarterback can take hold here and really improve and really maybe kind of help this offense out. And maybe see if a quarterback can come in there and transform this offense and maybe move this offense into a more modern type of offense where there's a lot more passes, a lot more modern concepts and stuff like that. Defensively, they're going to be fine. I mean, as we said, they they turn out some good offensive linemen, some really solid offensive defensive linemen, and some pretty good secondary players. So, and looking at some of those guys on both offense and defense, they're bringing back Sam Laporta at tight end, big time. Uh, he's going to be a key part of that offense. And then you got some sophomores that maybe can make a difference and take a step up in the offense. Running back, you got Gavin Williams. Receiver, you got Keegan Johnson. And another tight end, Luke Lachey, who Iowa, they can put out tight ends as well. So maybe he, along with Laporta, can form a nice little duo there at the tight end position. And that those sophomores can mature as they head into their second year in the program. Because that usually that year one and year two jump is a, is a pretty big one. Uh, regardless if it's college or if it's NFL or any sport, I think that year one and year two jump is pretty big for a lot of players. So maybe they can make the jump there. Defensively, Zach Van Valkenburg is leaving, and a couple other safeties that are gone from Iowa. You do bring back Lucas Van Ness at defensive end and maybe take the place there from Zach. And you also got some veteran corners in Riley Moss and Jamari Harris. I can maybe help fill the void uh, in that secondary, add some veteran leadership back there. But Iowa is a team that, if you look at it, they can go out and win the Big Ten West. They just can't have a run like they did last year where you start out 6-0 and and go 2-4. and You just can't do that, especially if you got teams that can go out and snatch the division from you, like Minnesota, like Wisconsin, like Purdue maybe could. So, speaking of Purdue, let's head on over to them real quick. Of course, a couple big things that they lose is wide receiver David Bell, who's a third-round pick, and George Karlofidis at defensive end. Just a couple big-time playmakers that they lose heading into this season. And obviously, the goal is to try to find a way to have guys step into their roles and try to produce and maybe not try to be the players that those guys once were, but just come in there and produce and be consistent. Uh, with the Boilermakers offense, when David Bell was in there, they averaged 33 points per game when he gained at least 70 yards receiving and 22 points per game when he didn't. That's a difference of 11 points. That's huge. So you need to find somebody to come in there and replace him. Maybe it's a Brock Thompson who caught seven balls, 270 yards, in the Music City Bowl against Tennessee. So maybe he's a guy that can go and replace him. You're bringing back Aiden O'Connell at quarterback after him throwing 3,712 yards last year. Good thing for Purdue is you're returning a lot of guys at both line in both lines, offensive and defensive. So that's good news for, for them. But on defense, you got to be worried about George Karloffis and losing him 
Who's going to come in and replace them? Is it going to be a couple guys that are going to try to replace that production? You got to worry about that. They they lost their defense coordinator that came in and did wonders there, and Brett and Lambert, who really turned around that defense. So you got some pieces to replace, and you got some things to be concerned about. Purdue is a team that should be considered to maybe win this division. Jeff Brom's a really good coach. He's got some good stuff going on at Purdue. So keep Purdue in mind when you're talking about the Big Ten West. Let's go on to another contender, and let's talk Minnesota and Wisconsin here back-to-back, and then we'll get into the other teams later on. Uh, Let's start with the Golden Gophers. Uh, P.J. Fleck, who's been there for, seems like, a few years now. Time flies by. But in these last two seasons, he's gone 11-2 and 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 9-4. So he's done a really good job there in Minnesota. He's built a solid program there in the Big Ten. So that's good news for Golden Gophers fans. Also good news for the Gophers. You bring back a lot of veterans on offense. Particularly your key players at quarterback, receiver, and running back. You bring back Tanner Morgan, who has not had the season like he did it, since 2019 and, you know, in 2020 where he really hasn't had that type of production that he had around there. But in, in, in 20 games since, only thrown 17 touchdowns, only have thrown for less than 3,500 yards. So maybe he tries to pick that back up. He does have a senior wide receiver in Chris Altman-Bell and a former blue chip guy in Dylan Wright at wide receiver. So that will help him out. Also will help him out is having veteran running back Mohamed Ibrahim back after missing most of last season with the injury. I believe he got injured in that first game, and that was a big loss for them. But he's coming back. You do lose a lot of that offensive line production. You lose four of your five starters. So you got to find a way to build some continuity up front. On defense, it looks like the Gophers – could have a really solid defense there. He can be one of the better defenses in the Pac-10. Be one of the better defenses in the Big Ten. And really try to make their mark. And that could be a reason why they win the Big Ten. Is having some of those veteran guys on offense. And having a really solid defense. And you know P.J. Fleck will get his teams to get up and play. So be on the lookout for them. Wisconsin. Let's move on over to them. As we mentioned up top, they hired Bobby Ingram, a new offensive coordinator that can maybe bring some modern concepts to their passing game without changing the running game because the running game is key at Wisconsin. You know they put out a lot of good offensive linemen. They got a lot of good running backs that come out of that program. They look like they got another one in Braylon Allen, who last year was just remarkable once he got, you know, got just to the program as a freshman, and he took off 135 yards per game and 7 yards per carry when they finished 8-1. So he looks like he's going to be the next great Wisconsin running back. So you add some modern concepts to the passing game, maybe that can really help out your quarterback in Graham Mertz, who when they were completely start uh, starting off the season off on a bad note, uh, did not look good. And when they did start to look really good and they had that big finish, and 
the, if you look at QBR, he ranked 29th. That's close to Devin Leary, who we talked about last week for NC State. And that's close to Desmond Ritter, who was a high draft pick in this past draft. So you're hoping you get that Graham Mertz this year and not an inconsistent one. So maybe adding some modern stuff to the passing game can really help Pilm. Downside is you look at Wisconsin's receivers and you only have one guy that has just even a small bit of production, and that is redshirt freshman Marcus Allen. He's a number two leading returning wideout, and he's only caught two balls. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. So you got to figure out that wide receiver rotation. Who, who are going to be your guys that are going to be out there? Uh, or who are, are you going to have a rotation? Or stuff like that, and of the four of the four four players who caught more than eight passes last year, only and that number's right, three of them were gone, with Marcus Allen being a part of that. So, yeah, that's it, not what you want, but I think a lot of this is going to be leaning on Braylon Allen and. He hoping he really takes that next step as a running back. He looked good last year. Maybe he can be a dark horse Heisman contender. And with Wisconsin running backs, you never put them in doubt because again, they turn out a lot of them. So we'll have to see on defense. They got some good playmakers in that front seven: Nick Herbig at linebacker, Keanu Benton, and Isaiah Mullins on the line. So Wisconsin can maybe have one of the better defenses in the country. They always seem like they have a really good defense that has a lot of guys that just go out there and play and produce. So I think Wisconsin, they're probably a, they're going to be a contender for this division as well. As far as the other teams are concerned, Nebraska was a team that was three and nine last year, but at times looked like they could be a six or seven win team. And a lot of that is due to them not finishing in one-score games. They were 0-8 last year. And I got to imagine Scott Frost is hammering that point home and trying to turn that around this year. That's going to be a big point of emphasis in them trying to finish, be consistent. And they got a lot of experience in those one-score games. Maybe something like that can help them. And, I mean, if you look at the record, 3-9, and nine, if they win three of those eight one-score games, that puts them at 6-6. Six and six and right in position for a bowl game. So I'm sure Scott Frost is going to hammer that home and trying to get on the right track this year because there's been a lot of turnover in Nebraska, kind of change up who's who he has on the staff. He's brought in Mark Whipple from Pitt, who, I mean, yes, if you got an offense with Kenny Pickett at quarterback and Jordan Addison and wide receiver, it's going to look good. But that Pitt offense took a huge leap last year, and Frost is hoping the same thing happens here. No Adrian Martinez. He's transferred. It looks like the QB's going to be Texas transfer Casey Thompson, who's among one of the players that Frost brought in. He hit the portal hard and brought in a former, a lot of former blue chip guys, including a TCU star defensive end, Ochon Mathis. So they're bringing them in. Special teams was a disaster for him last year. And Frost is, seems like he's going to be moving more starters there instead of reserves. 
that could be either good or bad. So we'll just have to see with that. But I think with experience, you're changing things up with your staff and adding some decent pieces, and the schedule's not that bad for them. Maybe you can get it to a 6-6 six and six and win some of those one-score games. But is 6-6 six and six enough to help Frost out and to keep his job there? Or is it not? And Nebraska's going to be looking for a new coach in a few months. So we'll have to see what happens with the Cornhuskers there. Illinois. Let's talk about Illinois right now. Uh, Brent Bielema comes in last year, and they make a bowl game. Yeah, they were 5-7, and seven, but... With uh, with how the bowl season went last year, that's just the way it happened. And so that's a big step forward. Bielema, he has his blueprint of big offensive lines, dedicate themselves to the run game, have a solid defense, and he established those things pretty quickly there in Champaign, Illinois. And he's got a couple good running backs coming back in Chase Brown and Joshua McRae. He's got a, a pretty solid defense coming back, a defense that took a big jump last year. So if you're looking, if you're an Illinois fan, you've got to be happy with, with with the potential of the season. The downside is if you're looking at returning production, it ranks 103rd in the country. It's the worst in the Big Ten. So you're replacing a lot of big-time guys. You also don't know who your quarterback's going to be, whether it's going to be Archer Sitkowski or whether it's going to be Syracuse transfer Tommy DeVito. So you got to figure that out. But if you're looking at some of the blueprints of Brent Bielema's and his style, his philosophy, I think Illinois is going to be a pretty solid team this year. And that defense is going to be pretty solid this year. And uh, if you have a defense that's solid, that that's solid to good, or something like that, you're gonna have a chance. So there's Illinois, and covering the last couple teams that we have here, or last team we have here, Northwestern. Northwestern really took a dip last year. Was three and nine, and if you take a look at Wisconsin's history with their records. It seems like something like this always seems to happen here in the Pat Fitzgerald era. Where you have teams that have that win eight to nine, ten games per year and then they slump and they win maybe five or four and then the next year they get back to eight or nine or something like that. Seems like that trend has happened here more recently with the Wildcats. Just like in 2019. They were three and nine then and then in the COVID year, they were 7-2, won the West title, won another West title, uh, and was the program's first top 10 finish in 25 years. And then next year, and then last year, they plumped at 3-9. and nine. So you got to figure, if that trend continues, Northwestern should be in for, for a bounce back season. And Northwestern, if they could get their stuff together, they could definitely be a team that could go out and try to win the Big West. They definitely could. If they can get their stuff together on offense and on defense, then they could be in for a bounce-back season. They don't have a lot of talent on offense and not a lot of upside. You do have Ryan Helinski coming back. You got left tackle Peter Skronotsky, or I hope I said that right, 
and you got a slot receiver, Malik Washington, and a couple other players, but there's not a whole lot there. Uh, on defense, you know that Wisconsin has pretty pretty solid defenders. Uh, that's one of Fitzgerald's things right there. So maybe they can really capitalize on that defense. They had to transition over from a legendary defense coordinator into hiring somebody outside of the program. And maybe in year two, there can be a change there. And that can maybe bring Wisconsin back to a pretty pretty solid record. So that is the Big Ten West. Let's spend some time now over in the East. And there's a lot to talk about here concerning the East. So I figure let's start at the bottom and work our way up and get and get to the more fun stuff. So let's start off with the worst team in, in the division last year, and that was Indiana. And Indiana was just, if you look at Indiana the last couple of years prior to last year, they've been pretty solid. Tom Mellon had, had a pretty good program running there. These last couple of years, I believe they went 14 and 7 in these last couple seasons. And then last year, they just completely fell apart, went 2 and 10. Quarterbacks couldn't stay healthy, had trouble completing passes, and just couldn't do anything there. Defense also took a step back. And so Indiana just kind of collapsed. And even if they even if maybe there's some improvement here they still might find themselves among the some of the bottom teams in in this division maybe in the Big 10 so you look at what Tom Allen does uh you got 24 players you saw 300 plus stamps last year only 11 are coming back and there's only a couple that actually produce pretty well so what does Tom Allen do he goes and hits the transfer portal hard and he brings in a lot of different players from a lot of different places, including Connor Bazelake from Missouri and running back Sean Shavers from Auburn. And those two guys are probably going to be in your starting backfield week one. And so you got to hope Bazelake is going to be your guy at, quarter, at quarterback. And I think he's probably going to be a little bit of a talent upgrade compared to what you have in that quarterback room. So, you add him in there, you add Shivers in there, and you hope that some of these transfers can really kind of help transform this team, maybe like Michigan State did last year. And so, that's kind of the state of where Indiana is at right now, and see if Tom Mallon and company in Bloomington can get this thing turned around and maybe not finish 2-10 this year, Maybe just get a few more wins and maybe try to find their way back to where they're where they were a couple years ago. So there's Indiana, and let's head on over and let's talk about Rutgers with uh, my favorite almost Tennessee coach, <laughs> Greg Schiano, and uh, let's see what he's got going on there over at Rutgers. And last year he didn't too didn't too too bad of a job there at Rutgers so far. And as uh, that team really starts is starting to look like they're getting back to Shiano ball with how well they defend. And 
their defense took a big jump up last season. Problem is, you go five and one against teams that finish, you know, that are not one really good teams, then zero and seven against everyone else, and which they were a lot of blowouts, and kind of ways they're kind of like Maryland, who we'll get to a little bit later, who were beating Maryland beat bad teams with offense, Rutgers was beating bad teams with defense, and they got some really solid players in that backfield in that secondary and front seven. So they got a lot of players that Shiano was probably excited about to come in there and really produce on offense. I think that's where the questions lie is how can he put up points? <laughs> Just put it simply enough. How can you put up points to where you don't have to rely on your defense every game and quarterback. It's a question of whether it's going to be six year senior Noah Bedrall, or whether it's somebody like four-star redshirt freshman Gavin Wimsat, who can maybe potentially take over. He's got a lot of upside. Brought in a couple transfer receivers like Tosh Harris from Syracuse and Sean Ryan from West Virginia. So maybe they can help out at wide receiver and really kind of change the narrative of this offense because it has to change for Rutgers if they want to get to where they want to go and compete in this conference. But defense is already there. It's just a matter of getting the offense to get to that same level. And if that happens, watch out for Rutgers. So moving on from the Scarlet Knights, let's talk about Maryland here for a second. We mentioned they beat a lot of bad teams with offense, and that was certainly the case. If you look at what they did in 2021, 7-0 7-0 against teams that finished under 500, which they absolutely blew out teams. But then you look at their games against teams that had winning records, teams that were 500 or better, owned six against them. And it was a sharp contrast to what happened in games that they won. In the games they won, they blew out a lot of teams. Games they lost, they got blown out. And you got to find some middle ground there if you're Maryland. You just can't have that happen. And you got to start getting some of those games against better competition. You win your games against the teams that you should beat. That's good. But if you can get a couple games against the teams you shouldn't beat, that can go a long way in not only your season, but potentially the trajectory of your program and getting some more guys in there that can help that trajectory move forward. And so what are they bringing back on offense? Well, they, they bring back a pretty impressive wide receiver room. You got a former five-star, Rakeem Jarrett. You got Florida transfer, Jacob Copeland, who's a former top recruit himself. You got Dante Demuse, who missed a lot of last season. Missed five, came, was played five games, missed the rest of the season due to a knee injury. He's back. So you got him back in the fold. You got another senior you got a senior coming back in Deshaun Jones, returning from injury. You got a four-star freshman in Shalik Knotts, who can maybe break in the rotation depending on how things goes. So not a bad wide receiver room if you're the Terrapins. And at quarterback, you got two of his younger brother, Talia Tungavailoa, coming back at quarterback. And was pretty efficient last year. It was really good for Maryland. 
threw for nearly 4,000 yards last year. And like I said, it's got a really solid wide receiver room. So he's not hurting for help out there with his weapons. Also, you got your entire offensive line coming back, and that's going to really help. And that's really where Maryland is going to try to build on this season, trying to get to where they want to go, is this offense and the guys that they have. On defense, they they were just average at best last year, and you're having to replace your best pass rusher, your best splitzer, and a couple starting safeties, including Nick Cross, who's a high draft pick as well. So you got to replace a lot of those guys and try to find a way to take this defense who was average at best and try to get them just to get a little bit better. Because if they can get a little bit better, then that can go a long way in helping Maryland out. Because we think the offense is going to be there. It's just a matter of getting the defense to take a little bit of a step up. Not Maybe not too big of a step. But if they can improve a little bit, they can go a long way for the Terrafins. And so that's where Maryland is. and They just got to find out a couple big questions. They got to answer them. Can they be consistent this year and beat the team's 500 or better? Get a couple wins against them. You know, stay taking care of your business and get to the teams you should beat. Against the teams that are below 500. Can you get a win or two against teams that have a 500 record or better? That's going to be the question for Maryland. They have the offense to do it. It's just a matter, I think, again, of the defense. If they can improve a little bit, maybe that can be the difference right there. So moving on to Michigan State. What a story for Michigan State last year. Second year under Mel Tucker. Going 11-2. And and was really a force in in this division. And was right there with, with Michigan and Ohio State. And Mel Tucker... It's a rich man now. 10-year extension, $95 million. And uh, I think the question of is it well-deserved is going to probably be answered this season and whether the team that Michigan State had last year, whether something like that is sustainable this year. They did lose a couple playmakers on offense. Notable, Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, who's now off to the NFL. Got him in the transfer portal. It's a big-time hit for them. That's something else they did this offseason. They went and hit the portal hard and got a couple guys that played in the SEC. They got a couple running backs to try to replace Kenneth Walker and Jarek Broussard from Colorado and Jalen Berger from Wisconsin. So they went and hit the portal hard and grabbed a couple SEC guys and grabbed somebody from Big Ten rival. So we'll see if that can help them out and keep this thing they got going is sustainable. They got Payne Thorne coming back at quarterback. Jaden Reed's coming back at receiver. So you bring those two guys back, they got good rapport. So you're counting on that. You also look at defense. You got a lot of players that played a lot of snaps last season coming back. You got nine coming back. That's absolutely huge for continuity. And if you if you look at what they got this year, and the question is going to be, was 11-2 last year a fluke? Or is it something that you could potentially see from Michigan State going forward? 
And that's going to be the big question surrounding Mel Con- Tucker's contract of whether it was too soon to give him that. And that's going to be the question I think on everybody's minds this year is whether that's going to be the case or whether they kind of take a step back and they're more like a seven or eight win team. So we'll just have to see. Those are the questions surrounding Michigan State. Was it too soon to give Mel Tucker that contract and can they keep what they had going last year rolling into this year? Because losing Kenneth Walker is big at running back and you're hoping the transfers you brought in can help you out back there. But if you do have a lot of continuity coming back on that defense, that will help. And Mel Tucker is a defensive guy. So maybe they can help out Sparns a little bit. Now, let's go to Peter's favorite team, unfortunately, as he would probably say. And uh, that is Penn State. And what have the Nittany Lions been up to here? Well, let's take a look at it. last few seasons have been pretty rough. We, we kind of outlined that in me and Peter's bit that we had when he did a segment on here about the Big Ten. And uh, we kind of talked about that in that little bit of, uh, of a bit right there. Is they've gone 11 and 11 since 2019. You've had three offensive coordinators in three years, with the offense still struggling to find its footing. And this past offseason, you lost Brent Pry, who's been a longstanding defensive coordinator there for a few years now, took the Virginia Tech head coaching job. So now you got to figure out your coordinators. They bring in Mike Yurchich, who is a Pretty solid offensive coordinators. Got a lot of strategy there. They can put up a lot of points and put up some yards. And you bring in Manny Diaz at defensive coordinator after being canned by Miami. He's now back at D.C. And you hope that he can maybe produce there with talent that Penn State's got. So looking at Penn State couple things to keep in mind is that James Franklin, he is coming back even after what sound like a pretty rough three years. If you do look at it, you know, I mean, one of them was a co- weird COVID year. So you, you got to take that into account. So where are the questions? Where are we going to start with Penn State? I think you got to start at quarterback and Sean Clifford. Sixth year, he's coming back. And can Mike Yurchich have an effect on him and this offense? Because last year's offense was not good. It really struggled. And a lot of that was is due to Clifford, maybe him not being consistent on the field, and also with him being banged up a lot. And you don't have a good backup quarterback situation behind him. You know, it, you, know you look at last year, you don't have Will Levis. He's at a... Kentucky transfer there so you don't have anybody solid back there to help out should Clifford get hurt so he you got him coming back now you do kind of a couple while inexperienced talented backups coming in there and Christian Valu is a redshirt freshman he got freshman Drew Alar got a lot of talent there so while inexperienced you do have some guys that could that may be Penn State's offense will be in better hands with compared to recent history. On You lose Jahan Dotson on offense. 
And so you got to find a way to replace him. Could it be Parker Washington, who is a slot guy, but had 820 yards last year? You added Mitchell Tinsley from Western Kentucky, who had 1,400 yards receiving last year. Could, can they, those two, can they find a way to replace those guys and to replace Dotson? And on defense with Maine Diaz, you got a lot of guys that don't have experience but have some really good upside on in that front seven. I think where they're really good at in that defense is probably the secondary. You got Jair Brown at safety. You got a couple of really good corners in Kalen King. Joey Porter Jr., who's coming back, who could have left for the draft. So I think that's really where that defense is going to be good is that secondary where you got a lot of good, experienced guys back there. But there are some guys on that front seven that has have a lot of upside. They just need some snaps. Guys like Curtis Jacobs, Maryland transfer, Chop Robinson. You brought in a couple of freshman defenders that look pretty good. So it's just a, it's a lot of promising stuff with Penn State with some pieces they got. It's just a matter of, you know, could and can they get experience and all that stuff. And you look at their schedule. They got a schedule that projects, you know, they have five, at least five projected top 25 opponents. So it's going to be a rough go of it for Penn State. And I have a feeling I might hear a lot of ranting about Penn State this year. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just a feeling, just a small feeling with Penn State. So moving on from Penn State, let's talk about probably the two best teams in this whole conference, and that is Michigan and Ohio State. And let's start off with the defending champs. Let's start off with Michigan ahead up to Ann Arbor. And boy, they lost a lot of pieces, not just on the team, but on the coaching staff. You lose Josh Gaddis, who's going to Miami. So you got to find your office, find a new guy at OC. You lose Mike McDonald, who's going back to Baltimore. So you got to replace your DC. And on your team, you lose a couple big impact guys. Lewis Hassan Haskins on offense, who's now gone to the NFL with a 1,300-yard rusher for him last year. Defense, you lose very impactful guys in Ojakbo and Hutchinson and Daxon Hill. And so you got to try to find a way to replace them. But I think Michigan, they've done a really solid job of you know, re- retooling and bringing in some really good players. And, I mean, if you look at Michigan these last couple of years, I mean, the reason why they were able to win the Big Ten East last year was because, you know, Harbaugh did a lot of changes to what they did there. Brought in Mike McDonald, really helped that defense. You had Hutchinson coming back on Jogbo, took a huge step up. And you have Cade McNamara, who's coming back this year, who now has a, is coming into a second year. He's got some continuity with him under center. So that goes a long way in a tough conference like this, is that you got continuity, you got stability, 
You also got some good weapons coming back in Cornelius Johnson, Eric All at tight end. You got 2020's leading receiver in Ronnie Bell coming back from injury. So that'll help out. How do you replace Haskins? You got a couple guys in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, a former blue chip guy. Can those two by themselves, can maybe they replace some of that production there? And offensive line, you got three starters coming back, and that's pretty huge for them. So a lot of changes for Michigan this year, but there's a lot of potential here. And with McNamara back, that's huge. Another thing to keep in mind, J.J. McCarthy, a former five-star guy, how many snaps will he see this year? We saw him in a couple scenarios in games last year. Will that happen again, or will we see a snap count increase? And if McNamara, you know, gets hurt, and Michigan fans are probably screaming, no, don't wish that upon us, is McCarthy ready to step into that role should McNamara have to miss some time? So that's going to be a, a question, is what they have behind McNamara is somebody like McCarthy ready to take control and get under center. On defense, you do lose a lot of guys, but you got a corner in DJ Turner who looks like he's going to be really good. And you got to find guys to replace Ojagbo and Hutchinson. That's going to be hard because of how talented those two were. So you got Taylor Upshaw and Braden McGregor who did pretty well in backup roles last year coming in and replacing those two. And you got some guys on defense that look like they'll be pretty solid. And you got to replace your defensive coordinator, and who is Jesse Menner, who's a Baltimore Raven import. So the Harbaugh's keep swapping assistants, it seems like. It seems like if if that happens next year, I, I think we shouldn't be surprised. It's like, ah, it's just the Harbaugh brothers, you know, you know. Here, I'll give you this assistant for this assistant done. So, <laughs> don't be surprised if that happens, but it happens this year as it did last year. So, we'll see if that's going to be effective for them this year as it was last year. But Michigan, they are adding a lot of talented guys back to this program. And they should still be in the thick of it for the Big Ten title and trying to win the Big Ten East. Now, let's start with the favorite probably win the Big Ten, and that is Ohio State. You have, you, you've lost a couple guys at receiver at, in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. They're first-round picks and head off to the pros. Lose a couple offensive linemen and Nicholas Petit, Freer, and Thayer Munford. But I don't think they're going to be hurting. If you look at their wide receiver room, they recruit that position really, really well. So they're not going to be hurting. Uh, one reason they're not going to be hurting, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be back for his junior year. And last year at times, he looked maybe even better than Alave and Wilson. Last year, put up 1,600 yards. And then who can forget that incredible Rose Bowl performance that he had? 347 yards, three touchdowns, one performance that's going to go into the books. Not just in a Rose Bowl, but I think in bowl history with that type of game. So he's coming back. And you got some guys at wide receiver that 
are going to get some playing time this year with those two guys going. So maybe could have Marvin Harrison Jr. We had a pretty good Rose Bowl himself with three touchdowns. Could he step up? Julian Fleming, a couple other guys, maybe they can step up. But Ohio State's going to get to where it wants to go because of C.J. Stroud. And he's, he's a guy that's going to be a Heisman favorite this year. Uh, him, Bryce Young, Will Henderson. I know there's Jackson Smith, the Jigba, might be one of them. Maybe Braylon Allen, again, is a dark horse. But Stroud is definitely up there. And the way he stepped into that QB position after Justin Fields left was just remarkable. It was just seamless. Put, put a word on it. I mean, look at it. Threw for nearly 4,500 yards as a redshirt freshman. A really good touchdown to interception ratio, 44 to 6. So I'd say that's pretty good. And you got him coming back and he can only get better. And that's a scary thought for the rest of the country and for the rest of the Big Ten. You got Trayvon Henderson, who looks like he's going to be the next star running back from Ohio State. So you just got a really fun offense here if you're Ohio State. And yeah, you lose Petit Freer and Munford. But if you look at your offensive linemen, you got four guys coming back that have earned at least honorable mention all-conference status. So they're not going to be hurting there. I think the big question for Ohio State is going to be defense. You bring in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State to try to help figure out this defense. And If you look at Ohio State's defense last year, the thing that probably put their stats where it did was at the start of the season, they were they stunk on defense. Then in the middle part of the season, they started to figure some things out. And then at the end of the season, they got back to their old ways at the start of the season. So now it's trying to find that place to where this defense can be really good and see if Jim Knowles has the answer there. You do got some guys coming back, including Denzel Burke at corner. You bring in Oklahoma State transfer and Tanner McAllister. You got Zach Harrison coming back at on a defensive end. So there's some talent there. Defensive line's going to be a question mark because even though their defensive line got pushed around a little bit last year, they got replaced three of last year's top five linemen. And so you're going to be asking a lot of former four and five star defensive linemen to step into huge roles this year. You're going to be asking them to do a lot with a, a first-year defensive coordinator there at Ohio State with Jim Knowles and see if he can bring that defensive style that Oklahoma State had and bring it over to Ohio State. And if Ohio State can really get better there, watch out for them because you already know what they can bring on offense. They got a lot of playmakers there. But if they can get that defense back to where it's not what it was last year, then just <laughs> have fun with it. Have fun with playing Ohio State. So that, I think, is where we're at with the Big Ten. A lot of interesting stuff here coming from the Big Ten Conference. So that'll wrap up the Big Ten. And next week, we're heading to the Big 12, where we're talking about a couple almost former members in Oklahoma and Texas and see where the, and where they're heading into. 
into 2022 in the Big 12. So that'll be on the docket for next week for our college football preview. Now for our NFL preview this week, as we said up top, might be a little bit short considering you look at this division, the NFC South, and I believe it produces the only other team you could possibly see winning the NFC, and that is the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, whatever, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you look at what all they bring back. Of course, Tom Brady being the big thing there. (laughs) That's kind of huge. And bringing the GOAT back. But you see what they brought in in this offseason. And you brought back guys like Chris Godwin and Ryan Jensen, Carlton Davis. You bring in some newcomers like Akeem Hicks and Keanu Neal and Shaq Mason via trade. Leonard Fournette's coming back. I know there's been some talk around him here recently, them needing to lose some weight and get into shape. So that's the thing to watch. You brought on Russell Gage as well. Maybe that third guy alongside Godwin and Evans. You did lose a few guys, though. Ronald Jones, he's gone down to Kansas City. Gronk, retired. And I say that in quotation marks because you, you never know with Gronk. I, I have to imagine there's going to be a time during the season where that question is going to be brought up and there's a real, possi- real possibility that we'll see him return. Uh, O.J. Howard, not there anymore. You lose Alex Kappa to the Bengals. Ali Marpet retires. JPP and Nadam Kinsu both leave. Richard Sherman's gone. And Jordan Whitehead has gone to the Jets. So, a little bit different than last offseason for Tampa. Not a whole lot of turnover last year. A lot of turnover this year. But they do bring in some really solid guys. Some things to keep note of with Tampa. Of course, going to be watching how Tom is going to be doing. Heading into his 23rd season. At 45 years old. How's he going to be looking this season? And we really had had a little bit of a window here where he was retired. And he was starting to feel it, but now he's back. So we'll have to see how he does. Tampa, new coach, Bruce Arians, moved into more of a front office role with the team. Todd Bowles gets its second chance at a head coaching position after him spending some time with the Jets in the mid-2010s. So, he's now back as a head coach. He's been a really good coordinator there for Tampa. And so, Todd Bowles is going to be helming this team. And you got to imagine, this is a better situation for him compared to him at the Jets. He's got the go-to quarterback. he got some pretty good weapons on offense. he got some good guys on defense he's going to have a better chance to succeed in this head coaching role than I think probably he ever would have with the Jets so he's now helming the ship I guess to make a pun with Tampa so that's going to be something to watch out for 
Gronk, you got him again. You got to imagine at some point, he's probably going to come back up. He's probably going to come back. So keep that in mind with uh, with the lines for both these teams. You're going to have two new starting guards, but you got Shaq Mason, who's got familiarity with Tom from New England. Maybe Akeem Hicks, who has been banged up, has enough left to maybe replace Ndamukong Sue with him leaving. But I don't think there's a lot of questions here with Tampa. I think they'll be just fine. And again, I think they're going to be one of the only teams in the NFC that's really going to compete with that Rams team in the NFC West to win this conference and find themselves back in the Super Bowl next year. I really do. So with Tampa down, let's take a look at the other few teams that we have here. And let's start out with New Orleans. Of course, they got a new coach as well. In fact, three of these teams, two of these teams have new head coaches. So, And you got Matt Rule, who's now the longest tenured guy there, which, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> speaks to the turnover there at that at, with head coach there. But the Saints, you got another guy getting another chance, and that is Dennis Allen, who was at Oakland, who was Oakland at the time, did not do so well there, but he gets another shot here in replacing Sean Payton. And there's probably some well-deserved concern with having a defensive-minded coach taking over an offensive-minded coach. And you got to be a little bit concerned about that considering the game has moved towards more offensive type of guys getting chances at the head coaching spot. But we'll have to see if He's better. He's well, more well equipped for this one. Kind of like Todd Bowles. Bowles is more well equipped now. Maybe Dennis Allen is. With the Saints, you, you do bring back some solid guys on that defense that are coming back, but you are having to replace a couple big time guys on that defense. So let's get right on to the team on offense. You bring back. Jameis Winston, you got Andy Dalton coming in, and you got Traquan Smith coming back. You bring in Jarvis Landry, LSU guy coming back home, and you pair him up with Michael Thomas, who hasn't played a snap since 2020, week 14. And you bring him in there along with your 11th overall pick and Chris Olave, who's got a lot to prove. Is it exciting and electrifying, but still only just a rookie? So you bring Jarvis Landry into the fold there. Kamara, you know what he brings, but is he going to miss some games due to the fact that this is probably not one, the, not even close to a top 10 story of the offseason of him being arrested and being booked for battery in Las Vegas in February? And he's got a hearing case that's going to be set next month. So we're going to find out soon if he's going to miss any games or not. And that could be huge for New Orleans and how that offense is called early on. You lost Ron Armstead at left tackle. So that's a big hole to replace there on that blind side. And that could really affect whoever's taking snaps, whether it's 
Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton. And so, speaking of James, you got him coming back from injury and hope that he's all good to go. And then on that defense, you lose your two starting safeties and Malcolm Jenkins, who is gone, and Marcus Williams, who is gone, gone to Baltimore. You lost Quan Alexander, at linebacker. So you got some talent there to replace. And you bring in two new safeties and Marcus May and Tyron Matthew, who uh, yeah, is another LSU guy who's having a homecoming. So we know how we've seen this type of stuff play out where you guys got guys that are coming home and sometimes it doesn't work out. Maybe this is a situation where it works out for both guys. And so if you have to look at those two guys, probably Matthew has the more important role because of what they lost in that secondary. But, uh, the Saints did take a lot of losses and they got Dennis Allen coming in as coach. So I have to see, could they be the second best team in this division? It's not going to say much, but it is what it is. I do think the Panthers though, the next thing we're talking about do have a chance. They got a lot of young guys taking on that defense, but there's a lot of potential, a lot of stuff to get excited about. So, what have they done? Oh, yeah, they added Baker Mayfield. Ever heard of him <laughs> here in the last few days? So they added Baker, and him and Sam are going to be competing for that quarterback position in week one. Somebody's going to end up holding that clipboard in week one, too. You bring back DJ Moore, and that's huge for one of those quarterbacks. You build out the offensive line. You bring in Austin Corbett. You bring in Bradley Bozeman, and you drafted Ikim Iquanu, Iki Iquanu at left tackle. And you drafted Brady Christensen last year. So you got some talent on that offensive line. It's just about gelling now and seeing if Iquanu can immediately step in and help, help out the blind side there. So you added a lot of linemen in the offseason. You had Deontay Foreman. At running back to get some depth there can really help out with McCaffrey. On defense, you got Dante Jackson, you bring in Xavier Woods, Matthew Nionitis comes in, Corey Littleton, Damian Wilson. At punter, you bring in Johnny Hecker. <laughs> you, big time punter. Maybe they can have a little bit of fun on special teams. Uh, do lose a couple pieces on defense. Spawn Gilmore, Son Rick, Matt Paredes, Daquan Jones. So, the things to keep in mind here, the offensive line, they've been they've been looking for a solid offensive line for a while now, particularly at left tackle, and seeing if they can get a guy that can step in and plug in and stay there for a long time and build some continuity between them. That quarterback, again, is it going to be Baker or is it going to be Sam? That's something we're going to be keeping an eye on very closely. As we get into training camp, Matt Corral, who they drafted in the third round, probably going to be a redshirt season now for him that you got two guys in Baker and Sam that are going to be competing like this. So he's probably going to be redshirting this year and holding a clipboard along with one of those other guys, whoever loses that job. McCaffrey, you got him coming back, but you got to keep him healthy. That's been the big thing with him. 
is that, yes, he's a do-it-all back, but in the last two seasons, he's missed 23 games. You cannot have that with somebody you pay a lot of money to. Guys, stay healthy. Maybe the offensive line and trying to change things up there can help change that. Having a couple guys that got some experience last year, Chupa Hubbard and Deontay Foreman, who did a really good job in Derrick Henry's absence last year. Did a good job there. So you got a couple guys back there that can help out if need be. But McCaffrey, it's all about him staying healthy. He is your best player, most talented player. You got to keep him healthy. You cannot pay that amount of money to a running back if he's going to miss that many games. Can't do it. And then defensively, there's a lot of exciting talent here. Jeremy Chin, J.C. Horn, Brian Burns, the Derek Brown. There's a lot of young, exciting talent here on this defense. It's just about you know taking that jump as young players, getting more experience, getting more reps. And if they do, this could be a really fun Panthers defense. Dante Jackson, J.C. Horn are your corners. Brian Burns really explodes off the edge. Maybe he does well this year. Derek Brown does really well for you this year. Maybe that can help you have C.J. Henderson, another former first-round pick, who's going to be maybe your third corner. Jeremy Chin is a chess piece back there. So there's a lot of fun, exciting talent on this defense. Stay healthy, stay together, get some more reps, and maybe something fun can happen. And then Matt Rule. Can Matt Rule get things going here, finally, in Carolina? One thing with Rule is he hasn't been able to find a QB that has a lot of talent in his tenure there at Carolina. Only just 10 wins through two seasons. So you got to hope if you're Matt Rule... You have a solid year this year, and you don't have to be worried about potentially being in the hot seat. And now, probably to a team that maybe might have one of the worst rosters in the league next year, and that is the Atlanta Falcons, year two under Arthur Smith. Let's take a look at what's happening in their offseason. The Matt Ryan era is... Officially over, traded him to Indianapolis. So now you're moving on at QB. No Mike Davis, no Russell Gage, no Calvin Ridley who's suspended. Hayden Hurst is gone, Dante Fowler. Foyer Olokun, I probably just butchered that, but they lose him at linebacker. So you had some noticeable departures. Brought in Marcus Mariota at quarterback, along with Desmond Ritter, and we'll have to and we'll get to him here in a bit. You bring back Cordell Patterson, a big time weapon for your offense there. So he's coming back. Thankful for that. You acquire Brian Edwards through trade from the Raiders, so you bring him in there in that wide receiver room. Jake Matthews is back. Grady Jarrett is back. Sign Young Ho Kuhn. Back at kicker, Casey Hayward's back. You added Lorenzo Carter. So, some solid additions, but let's get into the Falcons. So, Mariota, he's definitely getting a chance to replace Matt Ryan and start quarterback after being a backup in Vegas for the last couple years. 
But Desmond Ritter has apparently built up some really good, solid reviews there during the Falcons offseason program. And he's looking pretty solid. Whether that means he's going to be contending for some time and getting some snaps this year, we'll have to see. Only that question can be answered by Arthur Smith. And if Desmond Ritter continues to do all the stuff he's doing in these programs and in training camp, you got to ask the question, how long of a leash will Mariota have? And if you take a look at how the league has gone, it's been a league that has trended towards giving young quarterbacks a shot and throw them into the fire right away. So could Ritter be up for that in year one? We'll have to see about that question. Wide receiver. Of course, no Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley being suspended doesn't help, but you do bring in Brian Edwards, who's solid. You spent a first-round pick on Drake London, who looks like he can be a really good wide receiver for the Falcons. you got Kyle Pitts. Had a really solid rookie year last year. And off that, he can continue progressing this year in year two. So you do have some guys on on that offense that can be some potential mismatches in London and Edwards and Pitts. So maybe some of those guys will help out the Falcons in their wide receiver room. A couple other things to take a look at. The defense defense doesn't have a lot of talent. And so you got to figure out what you're going to do here. Could somebody like Deion Jones potentially be cut before the season's get started? Because they could really save some salary cap. You just got a lot to figure out here. And if you take a look at Lance roster top to bottom, it's not a great roster. And it's going to be probably top five worst roster in the league if you look at it. And they're going to be in contention for getting a top five pick and maybe getting that number one pick to maybe they do figure out some stuff about Ritter and maybe they move forward with him and they don't try to get one of those top QBs next year, but maybe they move and try to get somebody else. Maybe they want to get that wide receiver room a lot more talented and draft Smith and the Jigba. Or maybe they really want to help out this defense and get somebody that can be a game changer, like a Will Anderson. If you know, if he's healthy, if he rem- keeps up what he did last year after having 17 and a half sacks, maybe you draft Will Anderson and help him out at the edge spot. But, I mean, if you look at the Falcons, if you're a Falcons fan, I'm sorry. It's not going to be a fun year. Probably going to be a year where you have one of the worst rosters in the league and you're really going to be struggling for wins. And uh, I think just I think the thing for the Falcons fans is look forward to next year and see what you got then. So with that being said, I think that's where we're going to call it for the NFC South. Again, Tampa, probably the only real contender there. Saints and Panthers, I think, can battle it out for maybe two, for number two in that division. But other than that, not a whole lot of contenders in this division. And you got a team that can ha- have a bottom five roster in the league in the Falcons. So Tampa looks like they have a clear road to win this division and try to find themselves in position to get back to the Super Bowl. So that's where we're going to leave it with the NFC South next week. 
We're going to be heading up north, talking about the NFC North. The Packers, they've had uh, had a couple changes this offseason. Vikings, what can they do now with the new coach? The Bears, what can they do in Justin Fields' second year? Can they help him out? And with the Lions, had a pretty solid draft. What will they look like under Dan Campbell in year number two? So we'll talk all about that next time. So that'll do it for our football previews next week. Again, next week, Big 12 and the NFC North. So that's where we'll call it for football previews. And right now, let's head on to my conversation with Charles about the NBA offseason so far and what's it going to look like potentially for next season. All right, that'll do it for part one of this podcast. Hopefully you guys are back for part two. For me and Charles, we talk everything NBA, what's happened since the start of free agency, since that tipped off at the beginning of this month. Where are we at now? What are the teams we're looking at for next year? And all that good stuff. So hopefully you guys stick around for that on Monday. So thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to come back. Be sure to go check us out where you guys get your podcasts. Be sure to go check out our entertainment channel with our Comic-Con recap. Thank you all for listening again, and we'll talk to you all next time.